title of today's teaching is The Glorification of the Son. The Glorification of the Son. God says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. The word for glory, kabod, means honor, riches, splendor. It speaks of the majesty reserved only for God, God alone. In Exodus 33:18, Moses, in this plea of desperation, cries out to God, I pray, show me your glory. He cries out to God, I want to see your glory. I want to know you in a more intimate way, Lord. If you remember the story, God said, I'll make my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim my name before you, Moses, but you can't see my face and still live. You cannot see me in all your glory, so I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to hide you in there, and I'm going to put my hand over you, and then I'm going to pass before you, and you're just going to catch the afterglow. You're going to see my backside because you can't see my face and live. Exodus 15, 11. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Who is like the Lord? Nobody. Hebrews 12, 29. For our God is a consuming fire. Is that how you think of God? Holy, 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 a consuming fire. That's how the Bible describes him. Isaiah caught a glimpse of God's glory in Isaiah chapter 6. If you remember that picture, Isaiah sees God and the train of his robe fills the temple. It's this amazing picture, and what does Isaiah say? Woe is me, for I am ruined. The NLT says, it's all over, I am doomed. Kind of like that translation there. Why? Why is it all over? Why is he doomed? Why is he ruined? He says, because I am a man of unclean lips, and this people that I am among, we are unclean. No one in their sin can stand before the thrice holy God, the glory of God, and live in all of his glory. That's what the scripture teaches. Psalm 138, verse 5, great is the glory of the Lord. So great is this glory that Ezekiel, not once, not twice, not three times, four times, he falls to the ground when God in all his glory, not all of his glory, but God in his glory appears to him. Ezekiel one twenty eight. this is what Ezekiel says, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Ezekiel 3.23, the glory of the Lord was standing there like the glory which I saw by the river Chabar, and I fell on my face. Again in Ezekiel 43, Two and three. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was coming from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And the earth shone with his glory, and I fell on my face. I think it was the Niagara Falls I looked up. It said 90 decibels or so plus is what sound, the measure of the sound at a waterfall like that. It's like the sound of a roaring lion. That's how the writers of Scripture describe when God speaks. Ezekiel 44, 4. Then he brought me by the way of the north gate to the front of the house, and I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. What did he do? I fell on my face. He couldn't help 
but fall on his face before the Lord when the glory appeared. So Moses baked to see God's glory, couldn't see all of it. Isaiah saw but a glimpse of the glory and said he was undone. Ezekiel fell on his face over and over again. Yet if you remember Jesus' high priestly prayer, John chapter 17, verse 5, what does Jesus boldly proclaim to the Father? What is his prayer? And now, O Father, glorify me together with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Glorify me together with you with the glory that I had with you before the world was. Some people say, oh, the Trinity, Christians came up with that several centuries after the Bible was written. See, these scholars got together in a room and they devised the Trinity, that Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit's God, the Father is God. No, it's texts like this and many, many, many others which lead us to the Trinity, which show us that Jesus is God because God says, I will not share my glory with another. And Jesus said, restore to me the glory that I had with you before the world was. Jesus was in that glory with the Father before the world existed. So here's Jesus in John 17. He's about to go to the cross, about to rise from the dead, about to ascend back to the Father, and that's his prayer, that he would have that glory again. He could almost taste it. It was right before him, yet he had to undergo the wrath of God first. He had to go to the cross first, but yet he had his eyes on the prize, the future glory. Listen to 1 Timothy 3.16. This is perhaps a song of the early church. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. The glorification of the Son, Jesus taken up into glory. So over the last four weeks, we looked at the giving of the Son, the testing of the Son, the crucifixion of the Son, the resurrection of the Son, and today the glorification of the Son. I intended to, intended to stop last week with the resurrection, and then I thought about it, and I thought, no, the story continues. We need to talk about Jesus on the throne, ruling and reigning in all of his glory. This is very, very important. Luke twenty four twenty six. Jesus said, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then in enter into his glory? There he was on the Emmaus Road. These disciples, they didn't understand who he was. And he tells them, wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer and then enter into his glory? And that's where he is today. Glory, the Greek word for glory, doxa, honor, renown, majesty, praise, splendor. Doxa, from where we get the word doxology. Perhaps you've heard that term before. Glory and praise to God. But when Jesus walked on those dirt roads in Judea and Jerusalem and Galilee, was he blinding people with a bright light as he walked down those roads? Did they see him shining or did he just appear as a humble man? Isaiah 53, 2. He has no stately form that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He didn't display the fullness of his glory. He humbled himself. He laid aside the glory that he had in heaven with the Father. 
the majesty, the splendor that he had in heaven. He took on flesh and blood. He became like you and I. And I personally, I don't believe that he was a man of tall stature, as the scripture describes Saul. I don't believe he was a handsome man, as the scripture describes David. I don't think there was anything when people looked at him that were impressed by him. Perhaps he even was short in stature. Maybe not even the greatest looking. We don't know. We have clues in Isaiah 53 that his appearance wasn't anything special. And I believe that's why many people stumbled over him. Because the Pharisees, religious leaders, people of that time, and even people today, they're always looking at things outwardly. And God constantly says, I don't look at the outward, I look at the inward. And so the religious leaders stumbled over Jesus. They didn't see the glory, yet the disciples caught glimpses of the glory. And those that truly have eyes to see and ears to hear saw parts, pictures, shadows of the glory, which we'll continue to talk about in just a minute. But here's the text. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. I love this text. Have this attitude in yourselves. Here's Paul speaking to the Philippian church. He's trying to encourage them to be selfless, to be humble, to consider others more important than, them, than themselves, to not be conceited. So what does Paul point them to? Jesus, of course, his incarnation, the glory that he had and the glory that he is experiencing now. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of a man. And having the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, whether in heaven or on earth or under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hopefully I said that right. I love that text. Jesus, kanao is the Greek word. He emptied himself Kanao, to make of no reputation, to empty, even can mean to make void. He emptied himself of these divine attributes in a sense, his glory. He emptied himself of the fullness of his glory so that when he came down, he wasn't in his king, his splendor and the, the king robe, so to speak, of heaven. That picture that Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. I believe it's John 12 where it says that Isaiah saw him in his glory referencing Jesus. No, he left, th- left that. He came down to take on flesh and blood like us. Greek word for highly exalted. Hooper, upo. Exalted to the highest place, the highest rank, supreme majesty, the name that is above all names. God highly exalted him to the name that is above all names. Every knee will bow. Every person will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Even the scoffers, even the mockers, even the Richard Dawkins of the day, they will all bow their knee before Jesus Christ and proclaim him as Lord. The demons even understand this. 
The demons, we're told in the book of James, believe and shudder. The demons know that God is real. They know Jesus is Lord, and they shudder, and they tremble. Jesus, during his ministry, gave a major glimpse into his glory. He took Peter, James, and John up to that high mountain, the scripture tells us. The Mount of Transfiguration. We're told in, Ma- in Luke 9, 29, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and flashing like lightning. That's what it literally means in the Greek. His clothing was flashing like lightning. That's how the NIV translates it. Many other translations say gleaming or dazzling or radiant. King James says glistering. I like the NIV. Flashing like lightning. That's what the disciples saw on that mountain. Goes on to say in verse 32 of Luke 9, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. They saw Jesus' glory. What was their response? You remember Peter? He says, oh, Jesus, we're going to make some tabernacles for you. And one of the gospels says he didn't know what he was saying. He was so confused. He's seeing all these lights and it's as if he was cross-eyed trying to come up with something to say. Mark tells us in Mark 9, 6, Peter, James, and John became terrified. Ekphobos is the Greek word. Wholly frightened. Literally out of one's wits. Extremely fearful. Matthew tells us in chapter 17, verse 6, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. The only other time in the New Testament the word ekphobos Extremely terrified is used as Hebrews 12, 21. When Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. When Moses and the Israelites saw God in his glory on Mount Sinai, they were shuddering. They were fearful. Exodus 19, 16 describes it for us. It came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. God's given us pictures of his glory throughout the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in Christ, in the transfiguration. Here's Jesus' clothing like lightning, flashes of lightning displaying the glory of God. God descends on the mountain with lightning, flashes of lightning, earthquake, amazing. The Greek Greek Septuagint translates that word estropte, Exodus 19, 16, speaking of flashes of lightning. And the Greek word is ek astropto in Luke 9, 29, when it talks about the lightning coming forth from Jesus. Ek to come forth from. Here's this lightning coming forth from him, the lightning descending on the mountain. So when we think about Jesus, When we talk about Jesus, when you pray to Jesus, what do you think about him? What is your picture of Jesus when you're praying to him, looking to him, talking about him? Is it the Jesus that's returned to his glory? The Jesus that is ruling and reigning? The Jesus in all of his majesty? Is it the Jesus that John describes in Revelation chapter 1 verses 14 through 16? you'd like you can follow along with me there revelation 1 14 through 16 or just listen his head and his hair were white like wool like snow his eyes were like a flame of fire 
His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. And his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its strength. Remember in Ezekiel 43, 2, it said God's voice was like the sound of many waters. Here's John. Jesus puts his hand on John. John, in verse 17 of chapter 1 of Revelation, said, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Like a dead man. When you see angels appear to people throughout the Old and New Testament, what do they typically do? As we talked about last week, like those rugged soldiers, those Roman centurions, Trained to kill, what did they do when the angel descended and rolled away the stone? They fell down like dead men. You see that throughout scripture. That's just an angel. Why do they do that? Is it that an angel in and of itself is really powerful and strong? Well, to a certain degree, but I believe it's because they are exuding the glory of God. Angels are in the presence of God. They come in their splendor and majesty. It's really the splendor and majesty of God. They're shining ones. They're bright with the brightness of the Lord. And so people over and over and over fall on their faces. So when you hear someone today from a Bethel or another denomination, a Hillsong or Pentecostal church say, oh, I talk with angels all the time. Just have this cordial conversation. Think again, right? They Falling on their faces in fear, trembling. As Jen Johnson once said, wakey, wakey. And the, we're just having fun with angels and calling angels down and doing dance parties with angels. That's not the picture that you get in the scripture. And so here's John falling down at Jesus' feet like a dead man. Like Ezekiel, he couldn't contain a glimpse of God's glory. Perhaps you've seen shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. Got Jesus with glasses on, Jesus on a surfboard, blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus. That's my Jesus, right? He's just my buddy. Is that the Jesus that's described in the Bible? The cool, hip Jesus is the modern-day Jesus, the Jesus that accepts me how I am, the Jesus that allows me to live however I want. That's the Jesus that many people have painted in their own minds. And then people will maybe progress from that to the Jesus that hangs out with the lambs and the Jesus that has the children in his arms and the, mi- the meek and mild Jesus, the tender Jesus. That's all true, right? But that's only one side of the coin. People want to focus on that. What about the glorified Jesus? What about the Jesus with eyes like a flame of fire? What about the Jesus with a voice like the sound of many waters? What about the Jesus that his face is like the sun is so bright you can't look upon him? What about the King of Kings Jesus, the Lord of Lords Jesus? the ruling and reigning Jesus, the Jesus who rules over the kings of the earth, Revelation 1.5, the Jesus who wages war, Revelation 19.11, the Jesus who carries out the wrath of God upon the wicked, Revelation 19.15. What about that Jesus? If Peter, James, and and John trembled on that mount of transfiguration when they just saw but a picture and a glimpse of the glory of Jesus, how much more should we today tremble and have fear and awe at Jesus who is in all of his glory? Psalm chapter 2, verse 12, do homage to the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way, 
for his wrath may soon be kindled. Yet how blessed are all who take refuge in him. I love that blessing at the end there. Yes, tremble before him. Yes, be in awe of him. But you will be blessed if you take refuge in him. The righteous run in and they are saved. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they are safe. And so for us Christians, we tremble. We should have fear, yet we should know that we're safe. And we should know that one day we are going to take part in his glory in a mysterious way. Yet the world should have a fear that should hopefully bring them to repentance. So when Jesus returns to the world, they will see him in all of his glory. They will not stand. They will be destroyed. Listen to Revelation 6.16. They said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Wow. They will be consumed by his majesty, his brightness, his power, and his glory. Yet it will be relief. It will be comfort. It will be joy for believers. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, speaking of Christ's return, states, And to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. So when does Jesus return? He returns when Christians are being persecuted, when Christians are suffering. And he comes to bring relief. It says, When Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Sinners cannot stand in the glory of God. God will not allow sin in his presence. This text says they will be away from the glory of his power. Notice how when Jesus returns, he comes back in flaming fire. We're seeing this theme today. Eyes of flaming fire. How about Moses at the burning bush? Flaming fire. God is a consuming fire. In the next chapter of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it tells us how the lawless one will be destroyed, the Antichrist. He has a form of power. He's doing signs and wonders. He has a false glory. People are worshiping him. How is he destroyed? Second Thessalonians 2.8. And then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. The epiphania is the Greek word. Epiphany. Translated in the King James, the brightness of his coming. The NIV says the splendor of his coming. The BSB translation says the majesty. The contemporary English version says his glorious return. Here is Jesus returning in all his glory. The Mount of Transfiguration was a picture of this return of Christ. Flashes of lightning, majesty, splendor. And no one will be able to stand, only those who take refuge in Jesus. So the Greek word is epiphania, where we get the word epiphany. It means sudden revelation or insight. It's going to be at that moment that the Antichrist and all those who follow him get an epiphany. 
They get sudden insight. They get a revelation that we're doomed. Here the Antichrist thinks that he has all this power, all this pride, lifted up, and in a moment, wiped out, destroyed, and all those who follow him, consumed. Revelation 13, 4, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war against him? Wow, look at him. He is amazing. Who can fight against him? Who can destroy him? Jesus returns, wipes him out with the breath of his mouth and the epiphania of his coming, his splendor, Jesus in all his glory. Even our own church, our name, Blessed Hope Chapel, points to the glorified Jesus, the glorification of Jesus. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the epiphania, the appearing, the splendor, the majesty of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking to. That's what the scripture says we're to eagerly wait for, wanting to see Jesus in all of his glory, looking for that special day, that awesome day. So is it any surprise in the scripture that when we see Jesus return, no one's going to miss it? Every eye will see it. That's what the scripture says. How will every, every eye see Jesus returning? Matthew 24, 27 says, Just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. What were on it, how are his clothes described at the Mount of Transfiguration? Luke 17, 24, For just as lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Jesus was giving us a glimpse of his return, a glimpse of him in all his glory, lightning flashing from end to end of the sky. Luke 9, 29, his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. So when it says in Luke 17, 24, lightning when it flashes, Greek word, estropto. Luke 29, 29, on that Mount of Transfiguration, his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning, ex astrapto, ek meaning coming forth from. The lightning is coming forth from Jesus and his power. And so Matthew 24, 30 says, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. That's why it's called his glorious return, Jesus in all his majesty. So throughout scripture, we're shown glimpses of the glory of God in the prophets, in Moses, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, as we've talked about. God reveals but a fraction of this glory. And these men are awestruck, undone, trembling, falling to the ground. If you remember, Moses had to put a veil over his face at one point. We're told in Exodus chapter 34, verses 30 through 35, that Moses' face was so bright the Israelites could not look on him. They didn't want to get near him. He was reflecting a picture or reflecting the brightness of God's glory. Moses would be on that mountain, Mount Sinai, 40 days, 40 nights, speaking with the Lord. He'd be in the tent meeting with the Lord, and he'd come out, and his face was shining. And the text says he didn't even know at first. Yet they were so afraid he had to put a veil over his face because the Israelites were afraid of him. 
We also see a picture of God's glory and creation. The sun, the moon, the stars, waterfalls, lightning, as we've talked about. Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The sun is a picture of God's glory, and power, majesty. It's one of the largest objects. It is the largest object in our solar system. Life on earth would be be doomed without the sun the sun sustains life on the earth temperatures upwards of 10,000 degrees flaming fire the sun is a picture of the sun of righteousness how long can you look at the sun without your eyes being harmed don't go try it but some articles say 10 seconds 20 seconds 30 to 60 seconds you start to go blind around that time you can't look on the sun I believe God distinctly used that to say, look, this is my son, right? This is a picture of my son. The Egyptians have Ra, the sun god. Other cultures have picked up on this and have used the sun to be some sort of god. No, it's just a picture of God. It's a picture of his might, his strength, his power, and his glory to where you can't even look upon it and live. I mean, you'll survive if you look at the sun. You'll just be blind the rest of your life, right? So when Jesus is revealed in that final day, we will be transformed. 1 Corinthians 15 says, we will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. Then we'll be able to look upon him. In our sinful flesh, in our mortal bodies, we can't see Jesus in all his glory. But in that moment when he returns in all his glory, we're transformed into our new bodies, new eyes to see, and we can see Jesus then in all his glory, and we can live, and we can live with him for all eternity and see him in that glory and bask in his beauty. Romans 8, 17 and 18. If, keyword if, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It doesn't compare. Have to remind ourselves of that, right? Sometimes the suffering in this world can be so severe it feels like it does compare. (laughs) Paul says it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's another picture of Christ's glory in this world. It's us. It's you. It's me. Why is that? Because Christ lives in us. The hope of glory. Jesus is the light of the world. If he's in you, you are going to shine forth. Just as Moses' face shone forth the glory of God, you and I, if we're reflecting Christ properly, We will be bright lights in this world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the practical question for us today. Are we shining forth the light of Christ? Are we reflecting his glory to the world? Are we truly understanding who Christ is? 
He's not the baby in the manger. He's not just the Jesus who had the lambs on him and holding the babies in his arms. He's the Jesus with eyes of flaming fire. He's the King of Kings, Jesus, the Lord of Lords, Jesus, the ruling and reigning Jesus, the Jesus who is going to come back to destroy his enemies and carry out his wrath. We need to fear and tremble and honor him and live lives that are pleasing to him. Ephesians 5.8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. God wants us to take the veil off. Moses is a picture. Paul says in 2 Corinthians right around chapter 3 leading into chapter 4, he says that non-believers are blinded. The veil is taken off when they truly see Christ. When Moses is read in the synagogues, there's a veil that still remains. They can't see God's glory. They're blinded. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into, into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. We're being transformed. We're going to be glorified one day. So Paul's saying, take the veil off with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of God like a mirror. He's saying, mirror the image of Christ to the world. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan doesn't want people to see the glory. He wants the veil to remain. He wants Christians to be on the sidelines. He doesn't want you to let your light shine before men because he doesn't want people to glorify God. He's going to do whatever he can to keep people blinded. It's our job to get the message out. It's our job to continue shining as bright lights. And that's why twice in 2 Corinthians 4, in that same text, Paul says we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Let's actually read part of that text in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's pick it up in verse 6. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness... 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak. 
knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are seen are not seen are eternal. Fix your hope on the eternal things. Fix your eyes on heaven. Set your minds on things above and not on things of this world. Look to the glorified Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father. Yes, we're perplexed. Yes, at times we can be despairing. Yes, at times we're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Life is hard at times. Been a little busy in my home lately, packing up. We're getting ready to move. One of my grandpa, my mom's dad is in the hospital, sick. I'm battling something with my sinuses that all the ginger tea can't help and Every other medicine I'm trying, nose keeps running. Like, what's going on here? My Leah's grandpa was diagnosed with a form of cancer. Was just talking with Ivan about Nick earlier this morning. I can go on and on and on. That's just scratching the surface. Perplexed, but not despairing. Struck down, but not destroyed. We don't lose heart. We keep pressing forward. We keep putting our eyes on Jesus and we keep waiting for that day when he will return when he'll give us relief and when we'll rule and reign and bask in his beauty his majesty and his glory forever and ever let's pray Father we thank you Lord thank you Lord for your word thank you Lord for your truth thank you Lord that it is a comfort Thank you, Lord, that you've sent us your Holy Spirit who comforts us, who comes to our aid, who comes by our side, Lord, to help us when we're down, when we're hurting, as Paul said, struck down but not despairing, not destroyed, Lord, so we press on in you. Lord, we do pray for anyone here who's sick or going through trials that you would be with them and comfort them. Pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and guidance to make choices that are pleasing to you in life. Lord, we pray for those that we know, family members that don't know you, pray that they would come to faith in you. Family members who are sick, Lord, in the hospital or diagnosed with some form of disease or cancer, Lord, we cry out to you for healing. But we know, Lord, that ultimately one day we will get healing when we meet you face to face, whether when Jesus returns or when we die and go and see you. So we long for that day. Help us, Lord, in the meantime, to walk as children of light and to live lives that are pleasing to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.